those of you who must stay because you're no longer of age, that you get to stay the blessing of staying in here with me, right? <laughs> All right, so turn with me. We're going to be in John chapter 3 today. John 3.16 is what everybody knows, but we're going to look at a different passage today. We're finishing up and we're talking about our vision statement. Our vision statement is a Christ-like life inspiring many to believe. So today we're talking about the believing part. We're talking about the, the uh, ab- admonition of the church to be evangelistic. Life is not about us. Did you know that? Sometimes we get self-centered. And we think that life's not is all about us, but life is not about us. Life is Christ living in us to be used by God for other folks. So we got to realize that our life is not just about us. There's a part of it. There's an aspect where God is pouring into our life, and then there's a part of it in the aspect where God is working through our lives to pour out into the into others. That's the evangelism. That's us being a witness in the world. That's our life as a testimony. And so today when we look at this, Nicodemus was, was a good old uh, Jewish man, all right? In fact, he was a, a Pharisee. And so the scripture says this, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And that's very important. All right, let me just stop right there for a second. For him just to understand and to realize this is a, means that the life of Christ was making an impact with, with the Jewish nation, all right? This is a Jewish leader. This is a man who's on the Sanhedrin. He's one of the biggest, biggest of the Jews, all right? And so he realizes the importance of Christ. He realizes that there's something different about him. We know that no one uh, can speak these things and do these things unless it's coming from God. You're that type of teacher, all right? So he has that realization in his life. And Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water. We'll stop right there. I'm going to finish that sentence in just a few moments. He is speaking to him about natural birth, all right? That is the first birth. Every single one of us is naturally born of water in our mother's womb. There was fluid there. That's what we were born into. When he speaks of this natural birth into the world, that's for every single one of us. Every single one of us has this in common. We were born into that natural birth. Now, what are some aspects of this natural birth? This natural birth is, is, brings us into the world in, into sin. We're born of Adam and Eve. We're descendants of them. Sin was in them. And so as Scripture tells us, we are born into sin. Every single one of us is born into this natural birth, into the same place, into the same experience. I mean, the experience after that is all different, but the birth process for us is, is basically the same, all right? And so as he speaks to this natural birth through water, that's what we need to realize is that there's something in common about every single one of us. Why is that important? Why is it important that we see that we all have these things in common? Because we're only set apart from the world by Christ. So other than that, we're exactly the same. We don't like to admit that, do we? 
We like to look at ourselves economically. We like to look at ourselves socially. We like to look at ourselves racially. We like to look at ourselves um, in where we were born country-wise, where our nationality is. We like to split ourselves up over and over and over again. But the reality is, is that we're all born the same. We're all born into this natural birth, this birth into this world, and that birth is into sin. Why is that important for us to have that outlook and, and that uh, process of seeing through that vision and that lens? Because it helps us to see that there's no difference between us and anybody else. As bad as somebody else can be, we could be like that as well. And so with that reality, with that vision to be able to see that, it helps us to put things into the proper perspective. Now, Nicodemus, man, he is just, his mind is a spinning. He's not getting what Christ is talking about. Now, remember, he has just said to him, he said, you're this great teacher. You're this one that we can see how God is moving in your life, and, and we know that there's something different about you. So he saw the difference, but now there's a level where he's just not getting this. He's like, i got to go back into my mom's womb and, and be born again. This is not right. I, I, there's no way for this to be able to happen. This natural birth is a mark that's in our life. Every single one of us has this mark, all right? Scripture says this in John 3, 6. It says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So when we're born into this natural birth, that is flesh birthing flesh. That's all that is. Okay? Romans 7.14 says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into the bondage of sin. There's the aspect of sin that is in our lives. Paul gives us that in Romans 7.14. In Romans 5.12 and then in verses 17 through 20, he says this, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam... Sin entered into the world, and through death and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. For if by the transgression of one death reigned through the one, so then through one transgression resulted in the condemnation of all men. For as though the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. So let's put this all into perspective. So we're sitting here, we're all born into sin. That doesn't seem fair, does it? It does not seem fair that we were all born into sin. Even before a child could ever make a mistake, we're born into that aspect and into that relationship. Why is it like that? Why would God do that? Because the, the relationship with God was broken in the garden. And because it was broken in the garden through sin and we were all birthed through that same natural birth, we inherit that. That is the natural flesh inheritance of us. Guess what? We all participate in this the same thing the same way. But the reality for us is, is that not only does that bring death, but it brings condemnation. This, Paul tells us in chapter 5 that it brings condemnation. So in other words, not only are we born into sin, but we're separated from God. We're separated from God because of that sin. And it's nothing that we can do to avoid it. <clears throat> over and over, we like to think of ourselves as good people. We like to think about the aspects of our lives which are good parts, good things, good attitudes, good habits, all these things that we do. 
that goodness is never enough. That goodness is not going to get us to heaven because there's a separation. There's a gap because of that sin. We cannot cross it. Everyone in the world has this same problem. So not only is there sin, there's condemnation. And then it says this. This is what really throws fuel onto the fire. The law came in so that the transgression would what? Stop? Increase. So we think the Ten Commandments, by following them, will get us to heaven. Now look, I'm not trying to take a political stance on this, but I can tell you this. Putting the Ten Commandments out in front of our courthouses is not going to get us to heaven. And is not a signal that we're a righteous nation. Okay? It doesn't. And, you know, and I really think that we have the wrong focus on this. Our focus should be the hearts and minds of the people and not stones and tablets and different things that are put in front of courthouses and places so that we can read them. It's not going to get anybody to heaven. None of it is. It says right here that that law was given for what? To what? To make it worse. <laughs> All right? To help why does it make it worse? It helps us see our sin. So for us, the reality as an individual is, is that we should look to the Ten Commandments and not find them salvific. We should look to the Ten Commandments and see our sin. And so when we're talking about putting these things in places of prestige and all these places where we want them to be honored, we're looking at it from the wrong point. I'm not telling you that we shouldn't have them out there. What I'm telling you is, is it's not going to help us salvifically. All it's going to do is help us to go up there and read that and say, thou shall not murder, thou shall not covet, thou shall not steal, and realize that we have done those things. We have transgressed that law. So the law came so that the transgression would increase. It was to help us to see our sin. So this is where Nicodemus is. Nicodemus is a wise man. A Pharisee is someone who is learned. He's taken all the law. He's studied all of this. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible that we have, he would know that backwards and forwards, every detail of what it said, everything about it. And so this is what? This is blowing his mind. He sees that Jesus Christ has come and is teaching with authority, authority that can only come from God. But then the words that he says to him confuses him because he's caught up in religion. He's caught up in following um, a bunch of do's and don'ts. And because of that, he cannot reconcile himself to God. And so he is so perplexed. Now, I want you to think about this in the world today. People are looking for truth. They're looking for something that they can find that is something that they can hold on to in their life. They look at institutions. They look at the church, and they see all of what's gone on with priests and other things over the past few years. They go and they read the history of the church about how we've done things that are wrong, <clears throat> um, physically and financially, and they say, this institution is broken. So then they look to governments. They look for people that they would elect to go and to, to reign over, and they look for them to get there, and they're all good people until they get to Washington, right? And then Washington corrupts every single one of them. And once they get inside the beltway, they just all go to hell in a handbasket. 
Doesn't matter whether they're Democrat or Republican. They don't do what they say they're supposed to do, and they're just bad people. We elected and put them there. And yet when they get there, it seems like everything just gets convoluted, does it not? Why? Because in the same thing that we look at at the church and we say, this is a bunch of laws and no, people aren't following them, and they call themselves Christians, they go up there and they say, hey, you know what, my constituents back in Georgia want this, but my party says this, and my allegiance lies where? Where does the money come from to get me reelected? From the people back there or from the party? And when they get those things up there, they start going, well, I need to stay up here longer than two years or six years. You see what I'm saying? Everything gets taken out of perspective. Here's Nicodemus. Nicodemus has risen to the top of his faith. He's like an elected individual for the Jewish nation. All that, He makes all of these big, huge decisions. People's lives hang in the balance. And yet now he's having a crisis of belief. Every single one of us needs to get to this place in our lives. Experiencing God, I've talked to you a few weeks ago about that, if you've ever gone through that. He speaks about this. He speaks about the point or the crisis of our belief. Where we get to the point where we question why we believe what we believe. And this is where Nicodemus is. This is what evangelism is. This is the place that we must bring everyone who we speak to or we're in contact with. This is what we should be trying to do. Not to confuse them. Not to condemn them. But to bring them to a point where that they're at a crisis of what they believe. If someone says they're an atheist, why are they an atheist? If someone says they're a Muslim or a Hindu or someone that's a false faith, why? Why do you believe what you believe? And then we should have the truth enough and know the truth enough to bring them through questions and through our testimony to a reality where they become at a crisis of what they believe as opposed or as in comparison to the truth. The truth for us is we don't know our faith. We don't know what we believe. We're confused. We don't know what truth is. And so when we try to reflect that back out to the world, the world sees, yikes, I don't want to be involved in that. And so there's a distortion and there's greater confusion because they look at us and then they see that, that reality. So we have to know what we believe. And we have to know why we believe it. Why do you believe what you believe? If I were to stop right now and to take the next 15 or 20 minutes and to go around the room and say in one sentence, tell me why you believe what you believe, what would you tell me? Because mom and daddy told me, because they brought me here as a child, this is where I grew up, this is all I've ever known. Or is it that Jesus Christ, through the shed blood on the cross, saved me, saved me from myself? Save me from the world. Save me from the reality of a natural birth, which separates me from God. We need to know why we believe what we believe so that we can in turn be a witness to those who don't believe. 
We're never going to win them to Christ if we don't know what Christ is all about. So that's what God is doing here through Christ Jesus to Nicodemus. He says to him, he's perplexing him, he's brought him to this point, this crisis of belief. He says, truly, I, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and then the second part of it, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless he's born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Nicodemus at this point is going to go, what in the world are you talking about? It's a big S. It's not a little S. I don't get to pick and choose what I believe. Little S is Tim, Timisms, Timology. This is what I think. Everybody's got one of those, right? That's an opinion. My opinion is not going to get me or you to heaven. What is the reality? What is the truth? Jesus says that you must be born of the water, so you must be born naturally, born into this world of flesh, and then you must be born of the Spirit, big S, Holy Spirit. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? That's a question anybody can answer. Repent. Salvation. What is salvation? Trust. What else is salvation? Forgiveness. What else is salvation? How about acceptance? Acceptance of Christ and not yourself. Acceptance of what He's done and not the reality of who you are. All these things. See, you're giving me bits and pieces of it. Putting it all together, that is our faith. That is who we are. That's not where Nicodemus is at this point. Nicodemus is looking out and he's going, Man, I've been taught this religious stuff. I've been taught how to be a good person. I've been taught how to follow the law. At this point in time in the Jewish faith, there were over 430 laws that Nicodemus would have to follow on a daily basis. It had morphed from the Ten Commandments to something just unbelievable. They couldn't touch this. They couldn't eat that. They couldn't walk this place. They weren't allowed to walk in Samaria. They had to walk around it. Because walking through that land, because those were unclean people, made them unclean. It's crazy stuff. Now, I want you to think about do's and don'ts that we've made in Christianity today. Got to get baptized to go to heaven got to get baptized in our water to go to heaven got to have a second gift of the spirit not just the spirit in you but then another pouring on of the spirit um, what is something else must go to confession must have last rites must, are you following me? These are all things that we've made up so that someone can go to heaven and be free to go. That's not what this is at all. Nowhere in what I'm reading to you is, does it say this. Scripture says that I must accept Christ Jesus as my Savior, trust in Him, and believe. And if I believe those things then I am going to be with him eternally. Nicodemus is looking, sitting here looking at this, and he's going, oh, man, I'm so confused. If Nicodemus is as wise as Nicodemus is, then how in the world is it that we think people that we meet on the streets every day are going to have an understanding of what, what our faith is all about? 
This is why it takes longer today for people to come to Christ. People are not as trusting anymore. Didn't say they didn't want to know the truth, but they're not as trusting. They don't trust the church. They don't trust the government. They don't trust their employer. So why in the world are they going to trust you? You have to earn their trust. You have to pour into someone's life today. Not to say that you can't share your faith and someone drop right there and accept Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I'm not saying that that won't happen. I'm saying more often than not, it's not going to happen. That you're going to work with them every single day. And that they're going to watch what you do and watch what you say. Watch how you live. Watch how you respond. And you're going to have to pour every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday when they ask to go out and have drinks with you. You're going to have to figure out how to deal with these things. And you're going to have to figure out how to engage them with the gospel, the good news, the truth. And do that in such a way that you not only keep your faith, but it is passed on to them. Because it's not you. You are the example of the Holy Spirit. But it's the Holy Spirit, big S, that makes the move. I've been a pastor for close to 20 years, and I appreciate that you appreciate me. I really do. But I know this. I know this. All my heart, I've never saved anyone. Can you imagine that? Brother Paul, how many times do you think that you've spoke? I mean, not, let's see. 50, just say I take a couple of weeks vacation through the year. 50 for 20 years, 50 weeks for 20 years. What is that? Is that a thousand times? That's a thousand messages. Do y'all remember any of those? Maybe some joke I told in one of them, right? Or something when I did something crazy or foolish, which generally is pretty much every week. Um, But think about it. It's rare that you're going to remember anything that I said anything what's going to leave an imprint from me to you is only when the spirit of God speaks to you directly through something that I said and then you'll remember the words I said some of you come up to me on Wednesdays and go remember past past Sunday when you said this and I'm going to go no because I don't write this stuff down I'm just up here I'm winging it Every Sunday, I'm winging it. I'm not. But every Sunday, I could not tell you what I said. The only way that I'm ever reminded of what I said is when you say it back to me. And I go, Lord, please let it be something that was good and righteous. But that's the only way that I even remember. I can tell you this, just, and I'll get off of this. But when I used to have to do multiple services, you needed to come to both. Because I couldn't couldn't do it. I couldn't stand up there at 9 o'clock and preach something and then get back up there at 11 o'clock and do the same thing all over again. It was close. I tried. 
But I always forgot something, left something out, missed something, all these things. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Why? Because there's a different group of people in the room, right? God's got a, the same general message, but he was speaking to different individuals that are in the room. So different things needed to be said. So different things came out. Guys, we have to realize that God is in control of all of this. Christ Jesus is using Nicodemus as an example to us. This is the type of person that we will engage every day of our life. Some people know their stuff about what they believe, and it is wrong. You need to know the stuff that you believe because it is right. It is truth. It is the gospel. It is what the world needs. It is the only thing that is salvific. Why is it salvific? Because when we accept the Spirit, that is the second birth. That is the salvific birth of the Spirit of God. John 3, 5, and then verses 7 and 8. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So everyone who is born of the Spirit. We just had a huge storm coming through here. And the wind was just blowing and blowing and blowing. But what amazes me is, and then when it got here, I could watch the trees out in my back, backyard, and they would be blowing in the direction that I think the wind was blowing. Then the next thing I know, all of a sudden, they were going the opposite direction. And I'm like, where is that going from? The wind should be going this way around this storm. They should all be blowing this way, right? Why is that? Because the wind was going in all different directions all at the same time. How many of y'all watch the Masters? I think this is one of the coolest things. Do y'all seriously watch the Masters, okay? Uh, hole number 12 is a par 3. It's like 150 yards. 150 yards over this creek, Ray's Creek. And so they will stand on number 12 tee box and they will look at the flag on the green of number 11. Why do they do that before they hit the ball? So they can see which way the wind is blowing because that little bit of wind makes all the difference in the world. I think that is just crazy. That something's way over here, hundreds of yards away from here, and they're watching this flag over here to see how they need to hit the ball to go that way. It's not even the same direction, but the wind is moving it like that. That's what Christ is telling us here. Christ is telling us, you have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. You're nothing but the vessel. I'm nothing but the vessel. Jesus Christ speaking to Nicodemus at that time. He's the vessel for the Holy Spirit. Vessel for the Holy Spirit. That's what you and I should be thinking about. Romans 5, 17 through 20. Now look, this is the same passage that was talking about Adam, but I'm going to read the other parts of the passage. You'll see up there all the dots and the lines and stuff like this. So he gave it as comparisons. I'm going to read it to you as one from Adam, which I've already done, and then one from the picture of Christ. 
For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness which will reign in the life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through the one transgression resulted in condemnation to all men, even so through the one act of righteousness there was resulted justification of life to all men. Now, it doesn't say all men are going to be saved right there. It says that the reality of justification is brought to all men through the life of Christ Jesus. Everyone has the opportunity to be saved. Everyone has the opportunity for second birth. As though, as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace wins. It is greater than the sin. Do you get that? We need to repeat this to ourselves. Because we know some messed up folks, right? None of us in here, but we sure know some folks who are messed up. All right? And so when we know folks who are messed up, we're sitting there looking at that and we're going, ain't no way. How in the world is God going to forgive that? That's because the grace is greater than the sin. The grace is always greater than the sin. There's nothing in this world done by any person that God did not know from the foundation of the world that man was capable of doing. And we sit here every day thinking, how can one person do this to another person? How can somebody say that? How can somebody act that way? How can somebody do these horrific things? Because that's what we're all capable of. And born naturally into this world, into sin, left to that sin in any kind of non-redemptive form. It's just going to get worse. Go read Romans chapter 1. We've been doing that on Wednesday nights. He says the final straw is to give us over to the depravity of our mind. We defame our body, but then our mind goes. And when our mind goes and God gives us over to our mind, our own mind, oh gosh, Lord help us. Because we get what we live in today, where everybody thinks they're right, Everybody thinks they're most important. Everybody wants what they want. And we think that everybody should be allowed to have whatever they want, when they want it, how they want it. And it turns into total chaos. That's not God. Our lives should be examples of the order from the chaos of the world why should we live in the spirit and not walk by our own sight of what we see because that is the only thing that makes the difference we want all kinds of people to come in here to be a part of this fellowship 
We want this church to make an impact not only in this community, not only in this county, but throughout the world. That only happens when the impact starts with us. We talked about that. Then that has to be lived so that others can see it. And then we have to stop trying to save people and let God get a hold of them. Because if I tried to save you, it wouldn't be worth two cents. But if God gets a hold of you, back off. D.L. Moody said this one time. D.L. Moody said, We do not know the power of one person totally sold out for Christ Jesus. We do not know the total power of what one person totally selflessly abandoned for Christ could be. Because we got all this stuff in us that we have to work through. But if we could just get all that out of the way, Hebrews chapter 12, the sins which so easily entangles us. And we lay that all down. And God will do a mighty work in us and through us. I want to see this place transformed. And as much and with as much passion as I preach that on Monday morning, I want him to leave me alone. Amen? Am I the only one? Am I the heathen? Am I the reason? Then y'all need to let me go. I appreciate y'all. Y'all appreciate me. But we need to start over. But if you're not like me, thinking that, hey, the real problem is the rest of those people over at Mount Salem. If they just get their life right, we could do something there. The truth is, the preacher needs to get right. The Sunday school teachers need to get right. The deacons and their wives need to get right. Pastor's wife needs to get right. Lord knows pastor's wife needs to get right. And then everybody else that's in here, y'all could just follow along. And we could see a move of God. But it starts with us. So if we truly want to have a vision of a Christ-like life inspiring many to believe, that's not a congregational thing. That's an individual thing. So the vision of this church is the vision of you. Jesus reached Nicodemus. If you go through and read the book of John at the end, he's buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, but it's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who prepares his body. Do you get it? This message impacted this man's life. He's an elder. He was an old fella. He had lived his whole way, his whole life one way. But by the time that Christ came in and he saw it, doesn't say he was a disciple, doesn't say he was one of the 12 and walked with him every single day. He just watched from afar. And when he saw what he saw on the cross, it impacted him. And who knows what it did to the world through him. God can change anybody. God can change us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Oh, Father, I thank you so much for the fact that um, you sent your son to die on a cross for us. That you, knowing all that you know, saw the need. You gave us the opportunity to follow you. And sin entered into this world. But because of that, you still loved us enough to, to still want to have us in heaven with you and made a way. Father, help us to see the importance of that not only in our life, but in the lives of others. So much so that we're willing to forego the things that we think are important to do the things which you think are important. So much so that we're willing to lay down our aspirations and desires and passions to take up the aspirations and desires and passions that, that you have for us. Help us to be what you created us to be. Help us to do what you created for us to do. If we do that, Father, We've accomplished that and more than we were ever thought possible with our lives. And for that, Lord, for just the chance and the opportunity to be used by you, we give you all the praise and honor and glory. Thank you, Jesus. And for everyone in here, use us for your glory. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand together and we're going to pray and sing.